Welcome to church. I'm going to be preaching from the same scripture that Adam read to us earlier for our prayer time, so you can just stay right there or open it back up. And uh, for the next several months or so, maybe the, the next two months, our sermons are going to focus our attention on what the Bible calls us to be here as a local church. Not necessarily like a set of vision series sermons, um, but rather preparing us for what we're getting into as a three and a half, almost three and a half year old church plant. Here's what we're going to be busy doing. We're going to be talking about like things uh, um, of the mission of the church, which is what we read, uh, which is what Adam read to us earlier. We're going to learn about how to become more organized. And this topic will reveal how important it is for us to know who is committed to the local church and who is not. And I know I just mentioned the word commitment, and that freaked most of you out, but it's not going to be as scary as you think. We're going to talk about things like who will be our leaders, who, are going to, who is going to care for our souls as a church. And the Bible is clear. Every church should have certain types of leaders in place to support the health of the church and the growth of the church. So mission, organization, how we connect as a community, how we grow as a family, probably through January and through February, that's what we're going to be focused on. Now, some of you could be here and say, well, why, have, why are we just talking about this now? We're three and a half years old. We could have covered this day one. Well, when we launched as a church, quite frankly, we um, knew we had to preach the Bible and sing songs that were true, but we didn't know a whole lot else. So we tricked you into coming, and you've stayed. But as you grow as a church plant, you, just, you, you begin to learn more, and that's pretty much what our story is. We started a church because we knew that God had people in this community, right, amen, and all the surrounding communities. He had people here, and our job was to go and reach them, and you reach people for Jesus by opening the Bible, praying with them, telling them about the gospel. So when we launched, we weren't ready for some of these things. Many of us here today and who are part of the church who will be in second service and the other people you will meet of this church had zero to no church experience in their past. And so we need to take our time with some of these things and learn about them instead of just say, well, here's what you're supposed to be doing. And everybody says, okay, I guess so, but I don't know what it means. We don't want to be that. We want to take our time and, and learn about it. And so now today we just arrived at this point where we better understand the Bible about these subjects and therefore we should better understand what we're called to do. In fact, at CityGate Church, we always want to be conforming ourselves to what the Bible says. So every day you wake up, and if you read the Bible, you're conformed a little bit more uh, into the image of Jesus, into a more faithful Christian. Every time you open the Bible, it's going to convict you of something and say, you're not doing it right, Jesus is awesome, get with it. Right? That's pretty much your entire life. And so as we learn more at our church, we want to do more. We want to become more than what we are today. So this is where we're beginning today. Adam read the verses to us earlier. If you have been around church for any length of time, you may know this as the Great Commission. This is the one thing that Jesus told his church to do. Now, there's multiple things in the New Testament about what Jesus says and what Jesus teaches and what Paul says and what Paul teaches. But before Jesus left the earth and ascended into heaven, this, it, this was his marching orders to his church. This is what he told his church to do. It's very plain and very simple. Go... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this is where we're going to land today. We're going to talk about our mission as a local church. And it's in three parts. Go and make disciples of all nations. We will stay quite local with that call. Going to the nations is a completely other thing. It's a part of what we have done here at this church and will continue to do. But I'm going to set the, 
the going to the other nations aside and, and focus on what we have here in our communities and our surrounding towns. Number two, baptize them. Number three, teach them what Jesus taught. That's the mission of the church. You may think it's a little bit too simple, but I like simple, and so I'm glad Jesus gave us this very simple command. Without a doubt, this is the mission of the church. This is the mission that Jesus was on while he walked the earth, and therefore, above all, this is what the church is called to do. In fact, no church gets to change the mission. It doesn't matter where they are, what they call themselves, who goes to that church, what, what, what title they give themselves, what denomination they're in. If you are a Christian church, this is your mission. This is what you are to be about. This is the one thing that no one ever gets to change. Jesus, when he began what the Bible calls his public ministry, when he really came out and started to teach and to preach and do uh, miraculous signs of healing and all that kind of stuff, he began by telling people, actually it was a group of fishermen that he met, leave your nets, walk away from your boats, follow me, and I will teach you how to become fishers of men. I will teach you how to become people who go find other people and save them. Later on, he sends out 72 disciples, and he tells them, go to the surrounding communities and tell everyone that the kingdom of God is here. So Jesus is always telling people to follow him, and then he releases, releases? releases them out. He says things like, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, which is a, a verse we repeat quite often here. This was the mission of Jesus. He came to the earth to seek out and save those who are lost, of which we all once were. This is the mission, and therefore this is our mission. And this is because we are his disciples. Kind of an old school word, kind of a weird word if you watch YouTube because there's a lot of disciple cults out there, things like that. Uh, it may make you feel like a little strange, like you're part of a church that you really don't want to be here anymore because we're calling you a disciple. Get that out of your mind. It's, uh, this is a disciple in a good, healthy way. And this just means that we are those who are committed to following Jesus and obeying him. Committed to following him, obeying him, and the mission is to observe all that he has commanded. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows someone else and mimics their behavior, mimics their teaching. And we do that with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And this is because our, our call is to become more and more like him. A Christian is a disciple. That's it. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus Christ. There are no other kinds of Christians. If you're a Christian, you follow Jesus. You observe his teaching, you implement it into your life, you pray like crazy that God would help you, and you keep following him one step after the other. There is no other type of Christian that does exist. There are no Christians who can say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't follow him in that category or with that subject. You know, we have some differing opinions than Jesus does on things like home life or the church or politics or whatever Jesus says. We like him, but we don't really understand that, so we don't follow him. Those Christians do not exist. I mean, they do, but you know my point. They shouldn't. You see, because we can do many things. We can be about many things, and we have. We can invest ourselves in worth, worthwhile causes, and we have over the past three and a half years. But at the foundation of who we are, we are disciples who do what Jesus does and observe what Jesus teaches now, let's say that's still a little bit fuzzy because it's the first sermon of the day and I'm stuttering. So let me, let me give you this a little bit more practical way. Let's say we take this mission and put it into a job description for every Christian. So John, all right, I'm, I'm about the mission, but tell me what, what does it mean for me? Well, here's the job description. 
every Christian has a full-time job. Well, a, a second one if you already have one. You're welcome. And you don't get paid with dollars. You get paid with some heavenly rewards that you'll probably see in the future. But every Christian has a full-time job. Every Christian has an avocation, something other than what they are doing on earth to support themselves. Every Christian has a full-time job. And this job is to tell anyone who would listen about the salvation which is only made possible through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why you've been called. That's why you've been saved. It's to spread the kingdom of God with the message of salvation. Now, this job is going to require you to sacrifice. You will sacrifice your time. You will have to sacrifice your money and even sacrifice in many areas of the world your very life in order to fulfill the mission and spread the good news that God has sent a Savior and sinners can be saved. When you become a Christian, you accept this new job. It's part of the deal. Because you see, nowhere in the Bible do we see someone who genuinely believed in Jesus and then followed him and then remained quiet about him. We don't see it. We see a few times Jesus saying, I just healed you, don't tell anyone. Those are weird verses to work through. But normal behavior in the New Testament is someone who interacts with Jesus, believes in Jesus, gets saved by Jesus, and then tells everyone they know about Jesus. In the New Testament, the starts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all those books of the Bible. John the Baptizer, your Bible calls him John the Baptist, but that wasn't his last name, so I like calling him John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer tells people about Jesus. This, is, this consumes his entire life. This is the reason he was born. That's where it starts. And then a man named Andrew followed Jesus and then went to tell his brother Peter. Philip followed Jesus and then went to find Nathaniel. A woman at a well believes in Jesus and then tells her entire town about him. A man who had not walked in 38 years is healed, gets up, starts running around, and goes tells all the Jews who healed him. Jesus feeds 5,000 people, which was like basically sending out a mass evite to who he was. He wanted to invite everybody in, and he just clicked send to everyone. This was his mission. This is what every Christian was doing. A blind man was healed by Jesus and then tells his neighbors who had healed him. And so if you are here, those are a few examples. We can go through many more. If you are here, if you've been forgiven, if you've been cleansed from your sin, if you've been saved from the coming judgment of God, if you've been set free from the bondage of the sin that once ensnared you, if you've been made holy and righteous before the one and true living God, you are called to tell others about him. It's your job. The Bible says that we are the salt of the earth. We are the ones who will preserve the earth. But church, what good is salt if it is not salty? The Bible says all you have to do is throw it out on the ground. The Bible says that the Christian is the light of the world. But what good is a lamp if once it is lit, it is then hidden under a basket? It's no good at all. Church, I want to encourage you, and maybe some of you already understand that you're supposed to be telling people about Jesus, and you get nervous, and you get anxious, and you don't do it. That's okay. I'm not telling you you have to be amazing at it. I'm not telling you that everybody has this gift to be really effective at it. I'm simply saying we need to let our light shine very, very bright because we're surrounded by a dark and dying world. And there are people in your lives that you care for and deeply love. 
who do not know Christ. They are your mission. They are your mission. I'm not even saying you guys aren't even about it. So maybe the sermon is just an encouragement to you. Whatever it is, we must remind ourselves that the mission is to make disciples. That's at the core of what we will do for as long as God gives us breath as a church in this place. That's what we're going to be about. Every decision we make will be based upon, is it helping us make disciples? Every dollar we spend will be based upon, is it helping us make disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go and send the text to that person who's been on your mind this week. Just send it to them. Go and invite your neighbor over to your house. Take a piece of paper out. Draw a little square. That's your house. And then draw eight little squares around your house for other people's homes. And then write their name in the box. And then know where you're at with every single one of those neighbors. Know where you're at. I've had a conversation with them. They seem nice. I've been to their house for dinner. They really do not like me. I've invited them to church. They've said no 10 times. I think I should stop. These people, they came to church. It's pretty cool. You should know where you're at. That's just a very practical thing that the Gilfillan family has done for years. I mean, I don't want to act like people are targets, but I go after them, you know? <laughs> it's not because I, I have some sort of pride thing that I want people to follow me. It's because I really deeply care about the gospel and I want people to hear it. And so let that be an encouragement to you. Make a plan and go get people. Call that parent or that sibling or that loved one and tell them about Jesus. Call them and say, this is going to be awkward. I go to church and I know you know that. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can you give me three minutes to tell you about Jesus? You called me to ask me if you could tell me about Jesus. Yep, and you can put a timer on. I just need three minutes. Okay, cool, go. And then spend three minutes telling me about Jesus. Seems weird, right? But it works. Go and ask that coworker if you can buy them lunch. Yes, you must pay the first time. That's how it works. And then share your faith with them. And be straight up with people. There is no bait and switch in the Christian community, okay? It's not like, oh, now I got you at the table. Do you know Jesus? Say, hey, I want to buy you lunch because I go to church and I love to tell you about my church. I'd love to tell you about God, the God of the Bible. I've been learning about him and reading about him, and he really is like doing something in my life, and I just want to share it with you. Be very upfront with people. Go and tell people about the man who has saved your life. This is the mission given to the church, given to the Christian. There is no other mission. This is it. And let me add this, something that Adam mentioned earlier in his prayer that I thought was great. The reason Jesus gives this command is because he has been given all authority. That's very important to understand. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. He can tell his people to take this message to the world because he's been given all the authority of this world. You see, although sinful men lied about Jesus, mocked Jesus, beat Jesus, and then crucified Jesus, God the Father raised God the Son from the dead, proving him to be exactly who he said he was. Ephesians chapter 1. God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So right now, if you're wondering where Jesus is at, he's at the right hand of God the Father. He's right there with God the Father. Right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. 
And check this out. And above every name that has been named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. And he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church. That's cool, because that's us. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Jesus has all authority. Even when the world looks like it's spinning out of control, Jesus is still an authority. He's still there. He's got all authority. Philippians chapter 2. God has exalted him, lifted him up, raised him up, and bestowed upon him, given him, placed upon him, the name that is above every name. There is no more important name than Jesus Christ. That's it. I don't care how creative parents get. There is no more important name than Jesus. So that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess. They will say, they will admit that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, even those who reject Jesus will one day bow their knee to Jesus. You're either going to bow your knee in front of Jesus and say, thy will be done, or you're going to bow your knee in front of Jesus and say, thy will be done. Because he's been given all authority. He is king. Church, we go, therefore, and make disciples, not in our own power, but in the authority in the name of of Jesus Christ. I am telling you right now, all the nerves you feel about talking about Jesus is absolutely normal and everybody has them. I get visibly, I mean, I'm not visibly, I almost get ill before I preach. It's not like this is just something I just can't wait to do. I mean, I, you know, I get it, but I still get nervous. It's the same way when you guys go and tell people about Jesus, but when you open your mouth and say, Jesus is king and he's changed my life, that person is not going, Wow, because of your amazing words. It's because God has gone before you and Jesus has authority. So he's using your words to give glory and honor back to him. Okay, we could do that all day, but we're gonna move on. We go because Jesus has authority and this is the mission. Now, there's a few other uh, commands under the big command, which is baptize them and teach them. Briefly about baptism, because we could do this forever, and there are many issues and ideas about baptism. Before I say anything about baptism, baptism does not save anybody. We don't raise the importance of how people are baptized over someone's profession of following Jesus, okay? We're not going to do it. We never will, because the Bible never does. More on that later. Baptism is a Christian sign of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Now, at one point, I can tell you baptism doesn't save people, and a certain way to be baptized isn't the right or the wrong way. Our church has convictions. We think you should fill up a tank and put people all the way under. Bring them back up, but put people all the way under and bring them back up. We do that because that's what we see in the New Testament. That's how we're going to do it. It's because baptism is a Christian sign of faith, your belief, your trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible gives us plenty of examples of this. We can go on and on and on. And you know what? I have some amazing faithful friends who love to sprinkle and take little babies and pour water over their head. We're not going to do that, but I'm not telling them they're weird or sinful. It's just not my deal. We don't need to do that. 
But what we see in the New Testament is people going in the water over and over again. All throughout the New Testament, what happened to people when the message went out? People believed and they were baptized. People believed and they were baptized. Baptism is the sign of the Christian's new life. What it does is it, it symbolizes your turning from sin, right? At one point, you were sinful, you hated God, you hated his laws, and you were following your own path. Everything your heart and mind wanted to do, you just did it. It was destroying you. You didn't know that. That's called sin. It's against God's laws. He hates it, and therefore, you were his enemy. But then you believed in Christ, and you turned away. You repented, which just means a turning away from. That's all it means. You turned away from your sin, and you turned towards Christ and holiness and godliness and what people did once they did that was to get baptized. It symbolizes your turning from sin and your turning to righteousness, to godliness, to holiness. It is through the act of baptism also that a person identifies his or herself with the person of Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. I mean, we, we are a couple thousand years removed from some of these letters that have been written to us in the Bible. It's been, it's been a little bit of a time since the Bible was written. But in the early church, the Christians that we meet on pages of Scripture, which, by the way, were real people, and they are our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us, and we will see them in the new heavens and new earth. Don't ever forget that. You ever wonder what Paul looked like? We're going to find out. That's pretty neat. Think about it this way. In the time of the early church, a Christian would never have separated their belief in Jesus and their act of baptism. In fact, when they told someone they were a Christian, this is how it would have went. Yeah, I followed Jesus and I was baptized. Always. That's how it would have went down. Because you see, baptism wasn't a thing before Christians showed up. So to be identified as a Christian and with the church, they would have said, I believe in Jesus and I can prove it because I was baptized. I did it. I acted upon what Jesus acted upon. I acted upon what John the baptizer was doing with all those people in the river. I've done that. I have followed through. If a Christian were to introduce themselves in the first century, probably all the way up for many centuries after that, they would have said, I followed Jesus and I was baptized. It was one and the same. So then the mission of the church is to introduce people to the biblical Jesus. I'll get more about that later. And then invite them to believe and trust in him for salvation. And then dunk them in a tank of water. Now, it sounds pretty simplistic and weird, and a lot of people look at us like it's weird, but I think it's one of the coolest things we do all year round. It's amazing. The way we practice baptism here is quite simple, and as I believe it should be, all over the world. Two or three times a year, we have this big canvas tank. We fill it up, and we invite people who have never been baptized to get baptized. And there are, there is, one requirement of baptism. There are no tests. There's no multiple choice that you have to fill out and get 80%. Here's what I ask people. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Has Jesus saved you from your sin? Yes. Can you help me understand what you believe about Jesus? Can you articulate it? Can you say it? Jesus is God. I'm a sinner. God sent Jesus to save me, and he died for me. Cool. Are you ready? That's it. That's the test. Baptism is what identifies you as one with Jesus. Baptism, baptism is what connects you with the millions and millions of Christians around the world. The mission is to make disciples. Then the church helps people to get baptized. And then the third, we are to teach all that Jesus commanded. We are to observe. 
We are to submit to. We're to learn from all that Jesus has said. Now, for us in this local church, City Gate Church, I, I would absolutely, you know, we say this all the time. There was a group of people who wanted to start a church, and we look back now, and we actually are kind of, like, confused at why people showed up and stayed. It's not because we're trying to, like, have this false humility, but we just didn't know what we were doing. But we knew we loved people, we knew we loved the gospel, and we were going to tell as many people as possible. And when we first started, it was really tough to like, communicate to the people who were outside of the church and who have not been here yet who we were. Because you see, not all churches operate the same. There is a beauty and diversity in the local church, which is why they're all different. That's, that's great, actually. That's a good thing. And each church has a certain type of uniqueness compared to other churches in the community. But in the first two years, we really did struggle to say, like, what's our identity? Yes, we're Christians. Yes, we're about the mission. But how can we tell people who we are? And so, you know, you put the little tagline on the website, and you're always looking about more things to tell people who you are, and that just gets confusing. But I would say the last year or so, it can be boiled down to this. We, we, I think we've really hit a stride in understanding what God has created us to be, what God has called us to be. And this is it. We are here to teach people to follow Jesus. It's that simple. That's what we're going to do. For the rest of our days, we will teach people how to follow Jesus. We're going to introduce them to Jesus. We're going to pray like crazy that God saves them. And then we're going to teach them for the rest of their lives how to follow them, how to observe all that he has commanded. Because you see, Jesus does have something to say about your relationships, about your work ethic, about your finances, about your future, about the way you talk, about the way you think. All authority has been given to him. You're his. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ was spilled so you could live. So our job as a church is to teach people to follow Jesus. And that's what we are here to do. Let me give you a little bit of a warning. There does exist within the church this belief. And it's existed for all eternity. It's nothing new. There exists a belief that a Christian's devotion to Jesus can exist apart from observing the teaching of Jesus. You cannot say in the same breath that I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian, and not observe what he teaches, and not learn what he has taught. That's a harsh word for many Christians and churches around the world, but it's absolutely true. You, cannot, you can see it in the New Testament. You cannot say in the same breath, I am a Christian, but I do not observe anything that Jesus says. Or I don't really listen to that part. To say a Christian can be fully devoted to Jesus without learning about him is like ordering Chick-fil-A strips. Now stick with me. It's like ordering Chick-fil-A and then eating them without the sauce. Don't do it. You're ruining threads of the cosmos. You're, you're unwinding everything. To say you are a Christian and not be fully devoted to the teaching of Jesus does not make sense. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you should possess this desire to know him more and more. Not perfectly, not in every season. My goodness, I, there have been certain times in my life where I just did not care, right? I hope you're with me because you better admit to that. I have gone through seasons in my life where I didn't care what the Bible says. I was frustrated. I was following my own emotions and my own flesh. I just didn't care. We will not do this perfectly. But a Christian is someone who is on mission, who is also, they also possire, uh, you know what I mean, possess this desire to know him more and more. Possire. 
So I'm, I know that is a great word. I'm going to begin to close with this. I'm uh, mapping it out, but I have to do this. I'm going to bring you to John chapter 6 to show you, to reveal to you Christians who follow Jesus on mission and observe what he teaches and people who follow Jesus for a time because what they think they will get and walk away when they're told to follow his teaching. Because it happens every day and it happened when he was alive. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. If you read this chapter this afternoon, you will be blessed. Believe me. It's a long chapter. There's like almost 70 verses in this chapter. I know it's going to take you longer than watching a 59-second video on Facebook, but just it's worth it. Just hunker down and read it. I'm going to go through with it because I believe that this point about teaching people all that he has observed is really, uh, the, the weight of it is found in this exchange between Jesus and a bunch of people who are following him. And it's John chapter 6. I'm going to skim through a lot of the chapter, but the portions I'm going to land on will actually be behind me, I believe. Here's what it says. Now, Jesus, what happens here? Give me, let me give you some context. The feeding of the 5,000, right? He takes a boy's sack lunch, multiplies it, feeds 5,000 people plus their families. So there was this miracle that Jesus performed, that he pretty much created food out of nothing and fed a whole bunch of people. And then he leaves. He goes to the other side of the sea that he was on. He gets in a boat, goes to the other side. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where did you come? Why, when did you come here? Verse 26 should be behind me. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Now, when Jesus says that, just really pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, not because of what just happened, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, because I filled your stomach and you want some more. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, the Son of Man, Jesus, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Help us to become fully devoted followers of God. Jesus, help us with this. What do we do? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent, that you believe in me. I'm staring at you, talking to you. You want to do what God wants you to do? Believe in me. That's why I'm here. This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see you and believe you? I don't know how they get here. Now, I kind of do because I know my own heart, right? It's like on Monday, Jesus is amazing. On Wednesday, he doesn't exist because he hasn't helped me, right? You're with me, church, amen? We do this all the time. Our Christian life is like this. It's right here. People have never changed. We've only gotten iPhones. That's the only change in human history. We've all been the same all the time. I just, I'm thinking Jesus, if he was like a sarcastic person, which I don't think he was, kind of, there's some scripture that leads to it. I just fed 15,000 of you. That's a lot of people. You're asking for a sign? That was yesterday. They said, what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? And then they give him an example. You see, our fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness, uh, this flaky bread substance. Thousands of years before Jesus shows up, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is an Old Testament story. God's people have left Egypt a long time ago. 
They go into this wilderness for 40 years, and they're just wandering around. They're nomads. They're tenting it. They're camping for a really long time. They got no home. They got no community. They got no church to go to. They set all their stuff up. They take it down, and they go somewhere else. And at one point, they had no food. So this manna substance came down from heaven, and every morning, they were to go out and gather it just enough for what they could eat, and that's how God sustained them. Bread came down from heaven. And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who was the leader at the time. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. True bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Just as God told Moses that bread's going to come down to sustain the people, guess what? I just came down from heaven to sustain my people. This is me. I'm right in front of you. And 12 hours ago, I proved it with a bunch of food. You guys tracking yet? Okay, we're almost there. Right, he's trying to be patient. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Very plain. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe, which is absolutely true. They're following him because their stomachs are full. They like him because he's kind of a safe place to be. They enjoy his presence because they've never met anyone like him. Yet, they do not believe in what he's teaching. Go down to verse 41. Jesus talks some more. It's super important, but, you know, yada, yada, yada. I'll use that phrase. Verse 41. So after he says these things, the Jews grumbled about him. His own people said, they're like, you know, that's a grumble sound. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? We, we know this guy's family. How can he say that he was that bread and now he's God's bread to us? This is an amazing thing. How does he now say, I come down from heaven? Fast forward, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Here comes Jesus again with the same exact teaching. Whoever believes has eternal life. Very plainly, between verses 48 and 49, I even like the way it looks in my Bible. I am the bread of life. There is no beating around the bush. It's right there, his very words. I am the bread of life. The bread that I just told you that if you believed upon it and ate it, you'd never be hungry again. They're still confused. They don't know what to do. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, which is true. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. You know what? Hey, people, I know you don't understand. Let me break it down for you. You know why God gave manna to the people in the wilderness? It was to prepare his people for me. And we know that, don't we, church? The entire Bible is preparing us for Jesus. The reason why God brought bread down from heaven and put it on the ground and you gathered it up to sustain your life and live yet another day is because he was getting you ready for the bread who would come down from heaven so that when you ate of it, you would never die. 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Very plainly, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the third time that Jesus has said the same thing thing. More yada, yada, yada. I don't think this is up there, but I need to read it. When many of disciples heard this, 
when many of the disciples of Jesus, the ones who followed him, the ones who said they believed in him, when many people from Citygate Church heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? That's verse 60. 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense? Do you take offense at what I just said? Verse 66, after this, after people took offense and did not believe that Jesus was the very son of God who would sustain their very soul, and if you believed in him and ate the bread and trusted in him, you would never die. After they did not like that, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer what? Walked with him. No longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, those are the 12 disciples, which then become apostles minus one, because he's a snake, but we'll get to him later. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? You want to follow those people? Simon Peter, the guy who often got it wrong, does not get it wrong in this moment. Peter is known as the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth because every time he spoke, it was wrong. That's just the way we describe him. He does not get it wrong here. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I believe you're teaching. I'm going nowhere. I don't care how much it stretches me or causes me to think or convicts me that I'm wrong or tells me to correct my behavior. I don't care what you say to me. I will follow, and I'm going to do it. To whom shall we go? There is no other person with the truth that you hold. You're it. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he one of the 12, was going to betray him. Church, it is possible to hang out with Jesus for three years and observe everything he has ever said and betray him and walk away from him when the teaching gets tough. This is why we must be about the teaching of Jesus. This is why we cannot exclude the teaching of Jesus in the mission. This is why our church must teach people about Jesus. Here's the bottom line with this chapter six. Now, there's a lot of themes in this chapter six. I would say the main idea isn't even necessarily about this. It's about a whole other thing that I'm gonna preach about maybe sometime in the future. But we can see what people did when the hard teaching was put in front of them. They did not believe. And the bottom line is this. We must protect ourselves. I was, I'm about to say we will never become this, but I know the sinfulness of man and we're all susceptible, right? We're all, we can all be corrupted. You just need to know that. That's why Christ needs to be our life every day. Do not get arrogant and prideful because Satan will get you. Pride comes before the fall. So instead of saying we will never be about this, let me say this. We cannot, and I pray we do not become a church who introduces people to a Jesus they will never meet. It happens all over the world. That churches get super excited about dipping people in water and having a whole pile of people that say they believe in Jesus and they never teach them about Jesus. A bit, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. They never teach people that. They never show people how Jesus spoke about two topics more than any other topic, his entire ministry, hell and money. 
They never teach them that. They never teach them that if you're going to follow Christ, you must deny yourself, fully deny everything you have ever wanted and follow Christ and do what he wants you to do. They never tell people. They introduce them to Jesus and they say, Jesus' blood was shed for you and you could be saved. Praise God, amen. That's a good message, right? Church, that's a good message. And then they baptize them. And then they never say, you cannot live the life you once lived because it's killing you and it's mocking God. You must walk away from your sin. I know it's hard. We're here for you. Let's do it together. But if I see you do that again, I'm going to show up on your door, hug you, and tell you to walk away from it. They don't do that. Church, we cannot become a, a people who introduces others to a Savior whom they will never actually get to know because we never talk about what he talked about. So I have to ask, because I love you, are you following Jesus for what he can provide for you, which is what we see in John chapter 6? Or are you following Jesus because he alone has the words of eternal life? As we enter 2020, we've entered it as we continue we're going to do a few things as a church that are going to get us a little bit uncomfortable. Not in a weird way. But in two weeks, I'm going to bring three men up here who have dedicated themselves to being your leaders. Spoiler alert, I'm not the supreme leader. I'm just a the guy they let preach. All right? And we're going to have to pray for those leaders. And we're going to have to take their counsel. And we should honor them. And God has called them to lead us. And then a few weeks after that, we're going to take you through the scriptures on what a real church community is. And we're going to ask you to commit to what the Bible tells us to commit to. And some of you are going to say, done that, not going to do it here. And some of you are going to say, yeah, I see it very clearly on the pages, but I'm not going to do it. And then things get tough. And then we encourage you some more to read the Bible and come along with us. And then we encourage you some more. And then we're going to teach one another how we confront sin. Not like ghost busting every day and getting annoying, but you know what I mean. Like how you can really love your brothers and sisters who are sitting next to you. And that's going to make us uncomfortable because I like Jesus, but I don't have to tell you about anything. It's not part of the church community. As we enter 2020 and begin to observe and then implement more and more of what we are learning from the Bible, we really must first remember this. Our mission is very clear. We make disciples, then we baptize disciples, and if you have not been baptized, you really should consider it. Do I think you're a sinful person who hates Jesus if you don't? No, I'm not going to raise it to that level. I would ask you to question whether you believe his teaching or not, because it's plain from the scriptures that you should. We make disciples, we baptize disciples, and then we teach disciples. And this will be our life as long as God allows us to live it. Amen? This is it. All right, let's pray.